Welcome to the DCCC Youth Podcast. This podcast comes from Greg's sermon series, Light and Momentary, A Study of Suffering. It is on the topic of suffering and martyrdom. As Thompson said, we're continuing our series today, Light and Momentary, um, A Study of Suffering. And as we look at this, uh, again, I just want to go over a theme verse, encourage you to be memorizing this again from... Second Corinthians. <laughs> Can you? There we go. Uh, from Second Corinthians. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now hopefully... As we've been going through the series, um, we've been understanding more and more the, really what these verses mean. As we're looking at it, some of the topics we've covered, it's one of those uh, passages maybe you read and you just kind of, oh, that sounds good. Um, but hopefully as we've been looking through this and studying it, you've been understanding more and more what Paul is saying, how it all ties together with suffering and yet joy and hope in heaven, hope in Jesus' resurrection, how it all ties together, it all, all comes back. Um, now today, as we look at this, we're going to be talking about uh, suffering and martyrdom. Um, now, you might be like, well, this is a, a weird topic to talk about. As we've been talking in the past, um, I really emphasized, uh, especially last time we were together, joy and suffering, um, kind of one end of the spectrum, that what is suffering biblically? In the Bible, what is suffering? It says we suffer because we are cursed. The world is cursed. So when you don't want to get up in the morning and your alarm goes off, you are suffering, according to the Bible. You are, you are feeling the effects of the curse, that the world is broken. When relationships break, you are suffering. And so that's one end of the spectrum that, yes, everything you know, that happens to us that is unpleasant, that shows that our world is broken, is meant to point us to God, is meant to show us that this world does not work and that we are suffering. On the other end of this, and I don't want to ignore this, is this issue of martyrdom. Now, maybe to even some of you this, um, this phrase won't be very familiar. Um, usually today we talk about it kind of like if someone's a martyr, then they're always uh, suffering for their ideas, I guess. Um, usually it's in, in the realm of Christianity, it's used as someone, or uh, even Islam especially now, Someone who dies for their faith. A martyr is someone who is killed for their faith. And so we want to talk about the other side of the spectrum. That it, yet we are all suffering, and yet there are important questions to talk about on the other end. Um, 
because there are many, many of our brothers and sisters throughout the world who are dying for their faith. So I don't want to ignore this. And I think this is, you'll see um, as we approach this topic, that it is very, very important to us as well. Now, personally for me, um, this is really what got me interested in this topic. Um, a lot of you know that I became a Christian when I was in high school. And for you know a little while, I, would, I didn't really understand a lot of stuff. It was very new to me. Um, I've been in church my whole life, but I never really paid attention. I didn't understand it because the eyes of my heart weren't open. And so everything was very new and because I, and I was really understanding it for the first time. And there was a book that was very influential to me. It's this book. It's uh, old now. It's only teenagers. Um, called Jesus Phrase. meant for teenagers. It's, um, it's kind of a condensed, simplified version of an old book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, and it just tells stories of people who died for their faith, who died for Jesus. Um, and there's lots and lots of them in here. And I remember reading this book. And it was just something I never really thought about before. I never asked my question, well, would I die for this? And as I was reading this, um, this book, and just reading story after story after story, it, it moved me. And I, and I said to myself, why wouldn't I? Um, you know, I don't know if this is going to happen to me. I don't know if I'm going to go somewhere and this, I'm ever going to face this. But I need to ask this important question. Would I be willing to? And so it got me in this... Uh, to study this topic of suffering and martyrdom. They're so closely related. Now, as we talk about this topic, our scripture reading for today is Philippians 2, 5-8. Let's read it again. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Well, you might be thinking, how does this relate to uh, martyrdom? You could have chosen a passage from Revelation that talks about the people who died for their faith before the throne of God or something like that. Um, And I think this passage is very, very key. Number one, um, as we look at where it comes from, the book of Philippians, thinking back to last week, talking about joy and suffering. And that joy is not something that just pops up during suffering. It is fixed on our hope of heaven and it is the foundation for our Christian life that we know that we will receive that hope. It is all of our life. That is what joy is. Well, we see that all over in Philippians. Paul is in prison and he's suffering and yet he writes, rejoice. I will say it again, rejoice. Here's how you have joy. Here's what you do to be strong in Christ. And It's dripping with this. Well, we get to this passage right here. And right before this, he says, I want you to be unified. I want you to think together. I want you to be united. I want you to serve one another. How? Here's what he says. And if you're not paying attention, it seems kind of (laughs) separated from what he's talking about. So he's like, how can you be unified? Then he says this. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. So this is really important. You know, um, I brought this up in youth group a couple weeks ago. Probably more adults will remember this than teenagers. Um, back when I was in high school and junior high, the big thing was those WWJD bracelets. You remember those? What would Jesus do? And everyone was wearing them, even if they weren't a Christian. And um, it, was, it was kind of weird. But this is what we're talking about. What would Jesus do? This is, this is a big question. It's an important question. And Paul says, I want you to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, and here's what it means. 
right? And he says, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, this is uh, an unusual passage and um, there are lots of different reasons to choose different translations of the Bible. And um, different translations have different philosophies about how they do translation. Some of them interpret more like the NIV where this comes from. Some of them aim to have almost the exact same words. Uh, And this phrase is really difficult to translate because when we think about grasping something, like we think maybe in math, I couldn't grasp the idea of proofs. Um, I couldn't get it. Or, um, like, when we think about this, we're like, uh, I couldn't... The idea of being CEO of my own company was not something to be grasped. We think of it in kind of a negative sense um, when we talk about our idioms. Uh, When we're talking about this, this Greek phrase, there's not really a good way to to translate it into English. It means... um, the best way I could figure out to do it is it means like he did not consider equality with God to be grasping like holding on to something now I know this is going to be strange because you read this this passage and you're like I think we just naturally think this way when we read it in English um, but as we read the rest of scripture um, it's, it's relatively clear that Jesus is equal with God It says Jesus is God. He was with the Word, and He is the Word. It says that a lot. So what does this really mean? What does grasping mean? It means that He did not consider equality with God, having the attributes of God, being holding on to things. And when you think about it this way, this makes a whole lot more sense. So what is the characteristic of God? Is it that He holds on to His power? He holds on to those attributes. No, it is that he gives, he loves, he emptied himself, he made himself nothing. And when we think about it this way, when we kind of shift our understanding from this, the natural way we think about it in English, I think it makes a lot more sense um, what Paul is really saying here. Not that Jesus wasn't equal with God, but that he understood that God's character is not about taking and holding on to things and not letting go. It is about emptying. It is about sacrificing. So, who did not consider equality with God to be grasping, holding on to things, right? But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So, now hopefully you're reading this, you're like, oh, that makes so much more sense. I remember just reading that passage, I was always really confused. What, what is Paul trying to say here? If you think about it that way, it makes a whole lot more sense. Um, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So, now after we talked about all this, this word stuff, and we're going to talk more about words in just a minute, um, why, why would I choose this? Because, just as joy is the foundation of our Christian life, is the foundation of our hope, is how we thrive in suffering, despite the things that are going on. This is the foundation of our Christian life in service. This is, there's the heart filled with joy and the actions filled with humbleness. Right? But what it says, he humbled himself, he became like human likeness as a servant, humbled himself and became obedient even to death on the cross. So here's what I'm saying here. Is that we tend to create maybe these, the best way that I think of it is walls in our minds 
Like, we sometimes it's in the, the sense that I go to church on Friday and Sunday and the rest of the week I do this or whatever. You kind of set that apart. Well, I think we really set apart the idea of dying for our faith and the idea of living for our faith. You cannot and you will never be able to die for your faith and for God if you are not living for him every day. And in fact, Jesus said, here's what it's about. Here's what the Christian life is about. Dying every day to yourself. Emptying yourself. Being humble. That is what it is about. Every day you die to yourself. And so, when you come to the end of your life, if God demands it from you, it is what you've been doing every day. Just like we talked about joy, joy is not something that pops up when you suffer. It is the foundation for your life. Doesn't mean you're always happy? No. But it is the foundation for your life that you have hope in heaven, in the future, in the now, because of Jesus. Okay? So, let's remove this because this wall because if you are living for him and dying to yourself every day, if God asks you for your life, it will be natural. You will have been doing it all the time already. So, my key idea is becoming a martyr is just an extension for a limited few of being a faithful witness of Jesus. That's what we're talking about today. It is an extension of being a faithful witness of Jesus. It is not separate. It's not something we should separate. Okay, here's the martyrs and here's little me. Well, how could I ever do that? No, these people were people who were faithful in their lives and God therefore called them to death. Uh, As we look at this, outline really quickly and I know it looks like it's going to be long but we'll um, go through these pretty quickly we're going to define um, the changing definition of the word martyr it is an interesting word and we need to talk about it a little bit to understand why we kind of separate these things in our mind Um, some incorrect views and excesses misunderstandings about martyrs in the past um, how we should and should not be martyrs today and who is a martyr Um, again we're going to be going through these relatively fast but as we're thinking about this, um, this idea, first, point one, the, the changing view of the word martyr. Part of the reason that we separate these things in our mind is because we hear that word martyr. And if you looked it up in the, dip, the dictionary, it would probably say someone who dies for their faith. And so um, I know last time we, we talked a bit about words and letting the Bible inform our definition of words, letting the Bible tells us what love means letting the Bible tell us what joy means what suffering means and not let, letting ourselves tell the Bible what it means by those words letting the Bible change us so this word martyr um, comes from the word martus in Greek which means witness that's all it means it has, there's no real connection with that it's someone who witnesses it's used 150 times in the New Testament this word martus and uh, it can have like a couple basic meanings number one it's a witness to facts like I saw this happen that is a martyr so a witness is called in a trial that's a martyr a person who is witnessing to facts um, people who relate facts or experience their personal knowledge um, this is used like in the need for a certain number of witnesses um, to say when you go confront people um, you need to have a certain number of witnesses a certain number of martus martyrs um, so that's all it means um, as God is my witness in Romans 1 9 Paul says someone who who's backing Paul up God is backing him up 
Um, and also, it can be a proclaimer of content which the speaker believes to be true. They're saying something that they believe to be true. So it can be a witness to facts or someone saying something that they think is true. And that, you know, maybe is more like what we think about it. But I, I want you to get that in your mind right now. Those two things are the main meanings of this. So take out that dying for your faith thing because we're going to get to that in just a second. When, when people are going to read this uh, word, when they're reading a book or the Bible at, in the New Testament time, that's how they're going to take it, a witness. It's like if we read it now and we read the word witness in a book, um, we wouldn't be like, oh, a witness is someone who dies for their faith. No, that's not how we think about it. So um, where does it really come from? There are a couple places in Revelation that have um, links to death. In Revelation, there's a couple things to say. People who witness also suffered and died. If you're note-takers, in Revelation 6, 9 and Revelation 12, 11 are those two times in the New Testament where it says that it really only connects it to death. And again, it's someone who witnesses and then dies, not someone who dies, and that's what the word means. So, how did we get to where we are today to it meaning um, someone who dies for their faith? There's kind of... um, I have a a quote for you here. Um, There's kind of a transformation in the early church about the meaning. We're going to (laughs) trace... This is going to be a little more like a lecture, I guess, in the beginning. I know probably not a lot of you know too much about church history, so this might be interesting to you or boring to you. (laughs) I don't know. Um, It says, From its broad meaning to the one who bears testimony to a certain truth, it narrowed its meaning to designate one who endures hardship, suffering, and death for the gospel of Christ, and it becomes even more restricted until it is used exclusively who die of those who die for their beliefs. So this is kind of the transformation it undergoes in the early church time. It starts out being someone who witnesses, and then it's someone who suffers and witnesses, and then someone who suffers and dies, and then just someone who dies. Um, the, when we use the, the idea today, again, it's, it's used pretty much exclusively of like a suicide bomber or you know someone a Christian who dies for their faith but the idea of death is necessary um, so I guess a helpful parallel to maybe help you understand this a little more would be the word Bible um, Biblios in Greek it means book <laughs> that's all it means so when they were calling this book that we have today in the New Testament they called it the book <laughs> or the holy book that's all they called it now today when we say Bible, people are only going to think of one thing, right? Because over time, that word has been defined by how people use it, right? And this is the same thing that's going on with the word martyr. It starts out to mean a witness, but it became more and more used just for people who die for their faith until it comes to today, and it means just that one thing that it wasn't necessarily intended to mean in the beginning. Bible was a commonplace word. Biblios was used all the time. It was a book, right? A, a martyr, a martus, someone who witnesses, used all the time. Okay? And so I think understanding this, hopefully, help us, helps us to break down a little bit what I said at the beginning, that we have this wall that separates us from them. We people who live here in southwestern Ohio and the people in Indonesia or the Middle East who are dying for their faith. There is no separation. Back to our main idea. Martyrdom um, is just 
an extension of the faithful witness for those, those few people, comparatively, few Christians. It's just an extension of what they are already doing. So, why is this important? How does this affect our life? We are martyrs. We are witnesses. Those people died for their faith because they lived for their faith. And they kept doing it. We are no different than them. They were called to something different by God. We are the same. The question is, are we being faithful like that? Um, As we look at this idea, uh, and we go on, uh, I also want to cover some incorrect ideas about martyrs in the past. Um, just to, There's been a lot of baggage in this word and I want to get past some of it. Number one, martyrs can intercede for other people. This comes from uh, a story, uh, an event that happened back in 202. There's a woman named Perpetua. I don't know if any of you have heard of Perpetua before. She's one of the more famous martyrs. Well, what happened to Perpetua? She died a martyr's death, but before she did, she's waiting to go to her death. She has um, these visions about her brother, where she prays for her brother, and he's um, transferred from hell to heaven. Um, so she prays for him. She has this vision that she prays for him, and then he, he changes, and he goes to heaven instead of hell. Um, and this is kind of the beginning of the idea that people can intercede um, to martyr, that martyrs can intercede for other people. So what would happen? Perpetua shares this, and they're like, oh, great. So now, when people are condemned to death, all these people are going to them and saying, Perpetua, pray for my brother. Pray for my sister. And so, because she had this vision, this, this starts to catch on. Uh, martyrs have a special ability to overcome Satan. This uh, comes from the change in focusing on Christ's power and a martyr to bring him glory, to them bringing themselves glory. And this this really happens that, you know, it became, began to be um, around the time of Perpetua and after that people would, like, almost try to be martyrs. It's really, in a lot of ways, similar to um, Islam today, um, fundamentalist Islam, where people are being suicide bombers and stuff. Were they going and killing people? No. But they were definitely making efforts, actually, to become martyrs, to have this special power, to be able to intercede. Yeah, I know. This is why we're talking about it, because yeah, it's these people were the same as us. We can make these mistakes too if we're not careful. Um, it's so easy to get carried away. That's why I want to talk about them. Martyrs can forgive sins before, after, and before death. So during the third century, um, during this time, it was believed. Again, you can kind of see the development of what's going on here in these things. They kind of stack on top of each other. That um, that they could martyrs could forgive the sin of apostasy. What this means is that during this time, there's a lot of persecution. There's a big one called the Decian persecution. One of the Roman emperors. It was really bad. And during this time, one thing that the church really struggled with is what do we do with people who denied their faith? So there's lots of persecution, and you know it happens a lot. The Romans say, if you just worship Caesar, call him God, we won't kill you. And so people would do that. And then when the persecution ends, they say, I want to come back to church. And so the church really struggled. What do we do with these people? What's appropriate? And during this time, it was believed that martyrs could forgive them for that. They could forgive other sins, too. And not just after they died, when people are praying to them up in heaven, but before. Um, And how this happened is, let's say uh, we have martyr Jane. And 
she is tortured, she's taken and she's tortured, and she's given a death date. She said, and they said, you're going to die a week from today. Um, well, in the eyes of the church, a lot of people during this time, what that meant was she was basically already a martyr. She was condemned to die. And so people would go to her, just like with Perpetua before she died, and say, can you, can you forgive me for this? Can you do this? Because they already have that power. They've been sentenced to die. They have followed through, so they're going to do this. Um, something again to remember as we're talking about this stuff is this isn't everyone. There are important people who are saying, no, this is wrong. This is like the prevailing ideas of what's going on during the day. Just like, I think in our day, something that we struggle with a lot is uh, basically the prosperity gospel. We want to be... There's a lot of Christians who believe that you become a Christian and you can be happy and successful. And there are lots of faithful people who say, no, that's not what the Bible says. I, I kind of think of this as kind of similar. There are people who are standing for the truth, but a lot of people are turning to this. So, it moves from that to number four, a martyr's death can pay for the sins of others. In 359, a guy named Origen, one of the church fathers, he had a lot of kind of wacky ideas um, and a lot of good ones, but the, he was the first to say this in 359 AD, that uh, a martyr's death actually pays for the sins of others in the way that Jesus' death did. Um, again, that's something we would think about. And martyrs should be prayed to for forgiveness, venerated, and worshipped. You can see, it's little steps to get us here. Um, um, and what happens uh, I, I want to read a little bit for you at this point in the history of the Christian church respect for the martyrs was transformed into the cult of the martyrs martyrs became saints to be revered prayed to and worshipped from the moment that martyrs were given the prerogative to intercede with God uh, that they could pray for people especially and especially from the moment that their death was to believe, believe to be an atonement for other people's sins the other steps leading to the formulation of the saints were easily taken, being looked as merely natural, logical developments, and were met with almost no opposition. For since the martyr was said to win by his death the capacity for, to forgive sins, it seemed reasonable and desirable to pray for the, saint, for, the, for the forgiveness of one's sins. So by dying, they can forgive people's sins. Well, of course you should pray to that person. And so this is where we get kind of the modern, this is the beginning of the modern idea of saints. Catholic saints were we pray to Saint Francis or Saint whatever um, because they have this they have this special power. So this does still exist today. This is the basis of this idea is martyrdom, really. Um, in addition, to all this other acts of veneration directed toward the martyrs who are now by now canonized as saints seem perfectly justified by the same reasoning. Um, so from this, <laughs> taking another step that I don't uh, to number six. How we get there is there's this guy Polycarp. He's one of the early church fathers. Um, great name, <laughs> Polycarp. And he dies, and people start celebrating his heavenly birthday. He's really, really important church father. A lot of people loved him, followed him. So they start celebrating his um, heavenly birthday, where the day that he is martyred. And so they do this, and they have a big church celebration every year when this happens. Well, after that, after a while, they're like, well, let's... Um, move his bones into the church when we celebrate this. And so they start doing that. <laughs> After that, um, they kind of move his bones onto the altar and they celebrate the Lord's Supper as they're doing this. And so they start to get this idea by these little steps again. By the 5th century, it was um, of the utmost importance that everyone should have a martyr inside their altar. 
that this was kind of this tradition that they did, and all of a sudden everyone wants to do this. And then you get this idea from this that you know their bones are in the altar of the church, so they have healing properties. And this is where the idea of relics comes from. Um, you teens who were who were there when we showed the Luther movie. This was a big thing that Luther was really against this. You know, everyone has a lock of Bear, Mary's hair and a piece of the cross. You know, there's millions of these pieces of things that people would pray to. Saint Peter's skull. You know, he can heal you. And so this is where it comes from. And from that, um, again, they start to to venerate these things, to, to want them, and from that, it's the logical step to having those healing, saving, and protective powers. So, we get there, and you can see, again, the slow progression from, you know, martyrs are a special group of people. They suffered, and they didn't deny. Well, does the Bible ever actually say that? Revelation, maybe. But it, it, we definitely have taken a slow path throughout history to get to that place where people probably don't even realize what they're doing. And how did it start? With them separating in their minds martyrs from normal people. From separating, having the attitude of Christ in every day with one event at the end of your life. Am I, am I saying that here we're all headed down the slippery slope and we're pretty soon, you know, in 60 years this whole church will be venerating martyrs and praying to their bones and stuff? No. I, I don't think so. Um, but it could happen. It begins with that attitude of not understanding what your life is about, of not questioning your heart, and holding other people um, as having a special place with God instead of realizing your special place with God and living out your faith and dying for Him every day. You focus on what other people are doing. Let's not do that. So... Um, there's some current views that was the past there's some current things um, to avoid as well we see how easily and quickly <laughs> the church kind of corrected errors about martyrdom I think we have things today that we think um, number one it's a thing of the past that martyrdom doesn't really happen before that was back in the Roman time it doesn't really happen before uh, anymore and uh, again this is an error that is very costly when we think about our brothers and sisters around the world because um, I have a book it's called By Their Blood The Christian Martyrs of the 20th Century and Beyond there's a new edition in the past couple years um, covering the 2000s but um, when we look at it it's been said it's a really famous statistic that there have been more martyrs for Christianity for Christ in the 20th century than in all the other centuries combined um, now we're not as centralized in Europe or whatever but uh, you know there have been so many people who died for their faith and this is not something of yesterday it is going on today and, and in a lot of ways worse than ever um, there have been so many and when we forget this um, again not to hold their sacrifice up as the, the most amazing thing ever but people are suffering and dying for their faith let's not make this mistake let's pray for them this is happening it's only for spiritual people Uh, I think we've covered this pounded it into the ground enough for you to understand no it's not this is is for faithful people martyrs are people who are faithful throughout their whole lives and yes at the end but only because they've been faithful in their lives that's that's where it comes from number three they should be worshipped again we've covered this idea Um, I would replace it with they should be honored as examples Um, 
because they died? No, because they lived. Because it brought them to that place. It should, I should actively pursue it. This is what I talked about earlier, what was happening in the early church. And you know, there are, there are plenty of people, and I know the tendency of my own heart, even, when I was first learning about this, like to look at it and say, you know, I, want, I do want that, because Jesus died for me. How could I do anything less? But should we go out and, and seek it, be dumb <laughs> about it, and basically, in, uh, in some ways, commit suicide? No, that's not what the Bible calls us to do. That, again, is separating it. It's making that event more important than the rest of your life. Death is, is no more important than the rest of your life in serving God. Yeah? I'd also like to say that, you know, you throw the rest of the Bible away. There's many places where it says to live for God, that we're ambassadors for Christ. Right. Not just witnesses, but in God's eyes, we have status. Right. And we're to live for Him. It, you know, God forbid it should happen to any of us. But, you know, if it does, hopefully we can stay faithful. But, right. yeah, you throw away too much of the Bible if you say I'm supposed to go out and try to commit suicide. Right. And that's exactly what I'm saying, this idea of witness. It's, it's about an everyday thing. Just as joy is in your heart, humbleness, having the same attitude of Jesus. That's how we get unified. That's how we live our Christian lives. He is our example. And what did he do? He didn't hold on. He let go. He humbled himself. He served. And that was his life. And then when you're doing that, if this happens at the end, that's, uh, that's God's will. But it's, it's just the end of a faithful life. Um, so when I die is not my decision, but being faithful is. I can't control when I die, unless I go out and jump off a building or whatever. But... Um, that's, it's about being faithful. It's that choice every day that you make to be faithful, to choose God. Um, as we think about this, actually, I wanted to um, jump back just a, a minute in Philippians, if you have your Bibles. Um, we find principles, some good principles in the Bible, and the correct view of dying for Christ in the words of Paul, just a little earlier in Philippians 1, 18-24. He says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly and expect that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage <coughs> So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is necessary for you that I remain in the body. Some principles from that. Paul's main concern is that Jesus would be glorified in his body. That's more than anything else. He says, oh, I want to go to heaven. I desire to be with Christ, which is better by far, um, because this hope is so great. But I know, at the same time, that Jesus is calling me to be with you, to help you, to do fruitful work in the body. So I'm torn between the two. But he says, above all, I want Jesus to be glorified. Whether it's life or death, it doesn't matter. I want Jesus to be glorified. Um, life or death for him was not the supreme question it wasn't the end question 
it wasn't really whether I live or die his question was am I glorifying Jesus or not that was his question that was the ultimate question for him Life meant serving Christ and building up believers and death meant immediately being with Christ. And it was a great desire of Paul. He wanted that. Um, But again, the ultimate question that he's asking is not, am I going to live or am I going to die? But am I serving Jesus? Am I glorifying him? Um, So moving on to point four, kind of a question for you. Um, When you think about this, uh, which of these are martyrs? Number one, we have Cassie Bernal. You, I don't know how many of you remember her. And again, this was big for me in high school. Um, it was during the Columbine school shooting. Probably a lot of you have heard of that, even though you teenagers were just little. Um, she was, there's lots of songs about her. There's a book about her and stuff. Because the shooters came and they said, do you believe in God? And she said yes, and then they shot her. And so, so all these songs about how she said yes and, and all this stuff. And she was... Um, Faithful Witness for Christ. Another one comes from this book, um, Jesus Freaks. I want you to read it just a moment for you. It's about Pastor Kim and his congregation. He's in North Korea in the 1950s. It says, For years, Pastor Kim and 27 of his flock of Korean saints had lived in hand-dog tunnels beneath the earth. Then, as the communists were building a road, they discovered Christians living underground. The officials brought them out for a crowd of 30,000 in the village for a public trial and execution. They were told, deny Christ or you will die. But they refused. At this point, the head communist officer ordered four children from the group seized and had them prepared for hanging. With ropes tied around their small necks, the officer again commanded the parents to deny Christ. Not one of the believers would deny their faith. They told their children, we will soon see you in heaven. The children died quietly. The officer then called for a steamroller to be brought in. He forced the Christian to lie on the ground in its path. As the engine revved, they were given one last chance to recant their faith in Jesus. Again, they refused. As the steamroller began to inch forward, the Christians began to sing a song they had often sung together. As their bones and bodies were crushed under the pressure of the massive rollers, their lips uttered the words, More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Thee alone I seek, more love to thee. Let let sorrow do its work, more love to thee. And then shall my latest breath whisper thy praise. This be the parting cry of my heart shall raise. More love, O Christ, to thee. The execution was reported in North Korean press as an act of suppressing superstition. So this is a horrible story uh, about something that really happened. So there's Pastor Kim and his congregation. Ronnie Bowers, again, this is back in 2001. I don't know how many of you remember this. They were missionaries in Peru, and they were flying in a plane, and it was her husband, Jim, and her and their two kids they had a son and a baby daughter and they were flying and there was some mix up um, with uh, the Peruvian government they thought they were like drug runners and so they opened fire on them and Ronnie Bowers and the baby were shot and died now did they die because they were witnessing for Christ at that time did they die because of their faith someone said like to the congregation deny Christ or you will die no they were, they were working for God in a place, and it cost them their lives. A little different. How about a student doing street evangelism caught in crossfire of a drug-related argument in Cincinnati? And this, is not, this is an almost truthful story. Um, my roommate, uh, both of us used to be involved with this thing in Cedarville, doing street evangelism in Cincinnati. And this actually happened. No one got shot, but there was um, gang crossfire 
while they were down in Cincinnati and someone got shot, not anyone from their group, but it very well could have happened that you are witnessing for Jesus, doing street evangelism, and, and you die. Uh, and then Jim Elliott, a very famous martyr in the 1950s, he went to witness to this group of Indians in the jungle, and he was speared by them. Um, really famous story of a martyr. So the question is, which of these are martyrs? And it's, it's really easy to look at this and be like, well, uh, da, 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 da. the question is not really a valid question. Hopefully you've gotten to this place. Or maybe at the beginning, if I'd asked this question, you'd be like, I don't know. Which one? It's not our place to categorize people. It's not our place to look at these people and say, yep, you, 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 not you. Sorry. Um, you don't get that. Um, it's our place to praise God for their faithfulness and look to them as examples of their faithfulness. All these people, in some way, were living out their faith. And they, were, they died in some way. Was it always, deny Christ or I'll shoot you? No. Was it, I'm serving God in Peru and I died? Or, I wanted to reach these people and I died? These people were great examples of living for God. Of living for Jesus. Making Him the center of their lives. And then their lives were demanded of them. But that wasn't what their life was about. Most of those people, they didn't go and say, okay, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm probably going to die when I do this. Um, are there people that do that? Yeah. But these people, know. For the most part, these, these were people who were living their lives. Could they have died? Yeah. But that wasn't what it was about. Their ultimate question was not, will I live or will I die? But am I glorifying Jesus? That was their question. Am I being faithful? This is our calling. The value of martyrdom is bearing witness to Jesus as the most valuable thing in the world. Um, so a lot of people, they, they do. They do this, they testify, they say this in their death. But we also need to die and sacrifice every day to show the surpassing greatness of Christ. Um, John Piper, he has a great quote about this. He says, The way we honor Christ in death is to treasure Jesus above the gift of life. And the way we honor Christ in life is to treasure Jesus above life's gifts. Um, treasuring Jesus above everything else is the key. So, three questions for you, thinking about this topic of martyrdom and everything we've talked about today. Three questions for you. Am I a faithful witness of Jesus, of Christ, now in the way I live? This is the question. Are you a martyr? Are you being faithful? Are you not holding on, grasping, but emptying yourself, being a servant, having the attitude of Jesus every day. Are you doing that? Are you being faithful? Do I treasure Jesus above life's gifts? Do I want Jesus more than I want a new car, a better house, a TV, an iPod, whatever it is? What do I want more? Do I treasure Jesus more than life's gifts? Whether that's food, even, comfort, extra things, TV, whatever. Do I, do I treasure, do I want Jesus more? And then last, would I treasure Jesus above the gift of life? And that, and that has, you know, that's the question that comes last. And I think if you, if you have question two down, question three is, is assumed. Um, the Bible says he will give us strength through the Spirit to to witness when uh, in Acts it's talking about Paul that he's, he's going to be given power and words to say when brought before authorities 
Um, and it's so easy to get caught up in this question, would, would I say yes or would I say no? And um, I've known people who are just like torn up about this question, like, because it means so much to them to know, would I, would I deny Christ or not? Well, ultimately, you can't have that answer. It's a big if. And we never know the answers to ifs. But we do know what we're doing now, what we're doing today, whether or not we're being faithful, whether or not we're being humble and emptying ourselves, whether or not we are being martyrs today, that we are dying to ourselves today and living for Jesus. We don't just die to die to ourselves. We die so that we can live for Jesus, so that his life can be in us. Because, again, we always come back to this, Jesus is the center and purpose of history. He is why we are here. He is what we are doing. He is what we are about. Am I being faithful? Am I having the same attitude as Christ? And that's the question that we have. Uh, what's the application for this? What are we doing? It's not just about actions. Sometimes you're in a, a spot in your life where you can't do much for God. But do you treasure Jesus above life's gifts? Do you truly treasure him? What do you want most in your life? What do you spend the most time thinking about? If you're sitting in your car and it's quiet, what pops into your head? If you are just uh, thinking about the future, what do you consider um, when you're trying to figure out whether you should take a job or move or whatever? Those are the revealing questions that show where your heart is. Where Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Are your treasures in heaven? Are they on earth? Are they in success? And being a good person, being a good student? Are they in treasures with Christ in heaven? Those are the questions. Um, So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today. Change our hearts. Make us new. God, we know we do not have the strength and we need your grace. Empty us, God break us, but not just so we can be broken people, but so that you can rebuild us in your image. Break our hearts for for the things that break your heart. Show us who you want us to be. Make us into those people. We want to treasure you most, Lord Jesus. Put that in our hearts to live for you every day. And God, if it's your will, we ask that we would praise you in death. Um, whether it's at the end of our lives or after a long life or if it's two years from now we're asked to die for you. Give us the strength to do that. But until that day, give us the strength and the power to live every day for you, to treasure you above all else, to fill, fill our hearts with your riches and help us to wake up every day and ask the question, Am I glorifying God? Is this what I want? Is this what I'm doing? Help us to see our lives with eternal perspective, to look and see our lives from your viewpoint. And help us, give us the mind and the heart to count the cost of discipleship. You said, if you want to be my disciple, you must die every day. And I pray that you would bring us all to a crisis point where we ask that question truly and deeply. Am I really willing to do that, to follow Jesus? And we thank you so much for your sacrifice. You gave so much more um, 
and, and left so much more than we could ever even understand. Your death was necessary. You paid such a high cost. Help us to understand what suffering is. Help us to understand what living for you is. Um, this is an area of our lives that we just forget. Lord Jesus, show us who you are, how you walked, how you did this, how you let go, and how you died, and let us praise you for it. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. That's what comes after these verses about you emptying yourself. Let us confess that. Let us see you as Lord and glorify you as Lord every day. It's in your name we pray. Amen.